0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, CMO at Science.
1: And I'm Caroline Maloney. I am the Director of Training and Enablement at Science.
0: Well, today's episode is kind of a podcast master on a (laughs) podcast with us. (laughs) Talking about (laughs) podcasting and outbound and prospecting. And all the techniques that he used to get guests for podcasts, and really, there's a this is a chock full episode of insights and learnings.
1: Absolutely, Eric, he blew my mind when he talked about how he thinks that every person in sales. Should have a podcast but he doesn't stop there he actually provides some really awesome actionable insight and advice on where to go to start some free resources and tools it's a great listen
0: yeah colin mitchell you know as the chief revenue officer of salescast and salescast is basically in the business of helping others create podcasts hence the reason that he says you know everyone should have a podcast but he gives some great advice on mistakes to avoid traps that you could fall into strategies that that people you know kind of should know better but he that's not his only job you know he's also the chief revenue officer and founder of monster voip or monster technologies so this is a guy that's leveraged outbound in every way shape and form even has kind of a weekly live to the world cold calling kind of exercise that he runs on linkedin events which is fabulous and everyone should check it out
1: yeah and be sure to listen until the end of the episode because in the last few minutes he actually provides maybe about a dozen resources, titles of books, people to follow on LinkedIn. So be sure to listen to the end there for that list.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Can't wait for it. Let's get to it.
1: So Colin, you say that you, you still cold call every week. Do you mean to say that cold calling is not dead?
2: Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I want people to keep picking up the phone. No, cold calling, I, 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 you look, the phone is still the most powerful tool that any salesperson can have. And I, I dare anybody to try to convince me otherwise. <laughs> um, you
0: got a friendly and sympathetic audience here.
2: Yeah. I mean, the phone is the most powerful tool. You know, yes, you need to use all the other channels, of course, like social is important. Email is important. I like to look at them in ways to warm up the conversations for the phone. Um, But yeah, I get it. The phone is heavy and sometimes it's hard to pick it up. And, you know, as the, the principal,
0: I guess, chief revenue officer of SalesCast and a person that runs your own sales podcasts, Going forward, what are some of the the methodologies that you are really a big fan of or that you embrace on the regular?
2: Yeah. So I have a I have a weekly LinkedIn live show where me and Ed on my team, we make cold calls, we sit in a hot seat. Sometimes we invite a coach to coach us on those sessions and we test all kinds of different ways to make a cold call, right? And there's lots of different opinions about how you should or shouldn't make a call. You know, and and I say, the thing that I've learned through doing those sessions, and I've always been an avid cold caller because it's just how I built you know, my first company to $5 bucks in 26 months is by using the phone, is you got to have your own experience, right? So it highly depends for you to say, hey, should you use a permission-based opener? Should you not? Should you fall on the sword? Should you do all these different things? Um, or different frameworks, right? Or poke the bear. Like We had Josh Braun on. I'm a big fan of his you know, style. We've been rolling with his style for a little while now. And the thing that was challenging about it is, is really is changing a lot, right? So pick a style, stick with it, master it, make it your own. That's when you're going to become most confident. That's when you're going to see better results. Uh, that's where it's going to start to feel more authentic and genuine as you as like a person rather than like more of like a robot or reading a script. Uh, Scripts are important, but you got to kind of find your own style and have your own experience and then also be open to testing new things as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that there are any styles that you've tried that just totally are not it for you? Anything that you're like absolutely against?
2: (laughs) Oh, that's tough because a lot of times... A lot of times, there's just too many variables to say that this one thing doesn't matter, right? It highly depends you know, who you are, your tonality, who you're calling into, whether you sound confident or you don't. It's, it's really hard to say. Like, I'll give you an example. We had uh, somebody on the show. He wrote a, a book called The Million Dollar Rebuttal. Um, his name is David Walter. And he, we had a lot of fun. He was one of the first coaches we had on And he, you know, we let these coaches write the script like 30 minutes before we go live. We've never practiced the script before ever. Uh, So sometimes it takes a little bit to get used to it. But he had a line in there. How are you doing? And I was like, oh, no, I would never use that as a cold call opener. But, you know, that's what my mind said. I said, you know what? This is is how we're going to do it. We're going to go with whatever the coach says and we're going to try it. And in 60 minutes, we had 25 conversations and we booked three meetings.
0: That's amazing. You know, I hear those words though. And for the Friends uh, fans in the audience, I hear the words, how are you doing? And I cannot help, but think of Joey Tribbiani going, how you do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we know if we cold call you <laughs> and use that opener, we know how you're going to respond now.
0: That's right. That's right. Maybe dating oneself badly there too. <laughs> At any rate. So, so talk to me a little bit about your style I'm I'm really curious of what you've kind of learned with, you know, picking styles, mastering them and kind of building yeah. that reputation and muscle memory, if you will.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't say I have one go-to style. I'm really a fan of mixing it up. I'm really a fan of testing new things. I love the Josh Braun, you know, poke the bear sort of, You know dig into how they're doing the job today to trigger a conversation to figure out like hey is there maybe a better way to do the job today and leaning into that the biggest thing is learning how to get people out of that zone of resistance right because the first as soon as they pick up the phone they're in resistance right and you sort of got to combat that and you can do that a couple different ways permission-based opener you know, you you can use that. You can say, hey, Eric, you know, uh, I know I kind of caught you out of the blue, uh, but you have like 30 seconds and I can tell you exactly why I called you, right? So then they kind of let their defenses down a little bit. Um, I'm also a fan of falling on the sword and kind of making it a little bit, you know, lighthearted, right? So we had Jeff Swan on and we tested that a little bit and it's like, hey, Eric, you know. Don't give me, this is a cold call. And honestly, I hate making them probably more than you hate receiving them. But you have like 30 seconds so I can tell you exactly how I called, right? So it's kind of a mix of falling on the sword and then still get, you know, getting that permission-based opener before you pitch. Uh, the biggest thing is I think when people get in the zone of resistance, a lot of sellers don't know how to get them out of that or they keep pushing or they start pitching, right? Because they feel rushed. And then that's when you get into a lot of trouble and you you know, get your teeth kicked in or get hung up on <laughs> What do you find
0: for yourself is the best way to kind of like recognize the moment for what it is or read in tone what you're hearing back from the prospect and then act accordingly?
2: Yeah. I mean, like so mirroring, right? So you are going to mirror, you know, their tone, depending on where you're calling in the country, they might, you know, talk a little bit faster or slower. I think that's important. I think that, you know, sometimes saying things in a little bit of a passive way makes sense, especially like in that permission-based opener or, you know, people like helping people, right? So a good one is like, "Hey, I was hoping you could help me out for a minute." Right? And people like helping people naturally. Most people are good people. Um, so using that sort of down tone in those parts are important, right? But then when you get that permission, you get that 30 seconds, you got your moment to you know, sort of pique their interest to maybe continue to have a conversation. That's where you might want to bring it up a little bit and sound a little more confident.
1: Yeah, triggering the help instinct is, I think, key in those first 10 seconds. So you mentioned that other channels, you know, of communication and outreach are used to sort of warm up the call. Do you kind of have a method to the madness or, you know, a certain amount of touches that you like to do before a call or in tandem? Like, what what are your thoughts on cadence structure?
2: Yeah, I mean... I've heard. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different thoughts on this, right? You know, really hyper personalized, five to eight touches. We had, gosh, the guy's name is blanking. I can't remember his name, but you know, he had like a thirty step sequence, you know, that works ex- extremely well. He helped grow the uh, Cloud Task over there, um, and so it, it's it's it really depends, right? And I know this this answer sucks. Uh, but you got to test different things. I'm a big fan of using video. I'm a big fan of using video in the first touch, which most people say, don't do that. I've experimented with booking meetings specifically on LinkedIn with one touch with video and nothing else, no sequence. I've done, I'm a bit of an outbound nerd, if you can't tell by now. (laughs) What What are some of the
0: outbound nerdiest activities that you've invested time in or experiments that you've done? I'm,
2: I'm doing video, like, so right around the time that LinkedIn captured invites, right? Everybody was freaking out, especially the people that were, you know, I don't know, maybe building pipeline through, you know, spamming and pitch slapping everybody on LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, which still happens today, a little bit less because you're like, ah, oh, do I want to waste a pitch slap on this person? I don't know, you know, because you only get 100 a week now. Uh, mm-hmm. used to, I, I don't even know if there was a limit. I think you could do 500 a week or something, you know? And that's when all of these LinkedIn automation tools were coming up. It felt like every other week there was a new one. And I'm also a bit of a nerd of like testing out new tools. So I knew, you know, most of them. And <laughs> But anyway, right around the time that LinkedIn said, okay, we're going to, you know, kind of put a stop to this. Everybody gets a hundred invites a week. Right after that, Vidyard rolled out their integration with LinkedIn And so I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. This is fun. So we ran an eight week experiment. This was kind of the debunk don't ever use video in the first touch, which is what, you know, we've probably heard a lot of people say. Mm -hmm. Um, And nothing against that, right? Again, and I'm a fan of having your own experience. Like this depends on how optimized your profile is. This depends on, you know, are you putting original content out that's a value? Like there's a lot of variables that are going ma- to be factored in on how successful this works, or even if it works for you at all. And so what we did for eight weeks, for four weeks straight, we sent connection requests with no message, which is another big no-no that people say. Always send a personalized message in the connection request, right? So we did no... And what happened is... Over the 4 week period we saw about a 55% acceptance, okay? And then once they accepted we sent them a video, just a 30 second video through the Vidyard integration, you know, providing, you know, a value statement, allowing them to raise their hand if they wanted to have a conversation, you know, not sending any meeting links anything like that. And what happened is we were booking 3 to 5 meetings a day in that period, every day, just off my profile alone. Um, and then we had, you know, we had Ed, who's on my team, doing it as well. His results weren't quite as high because his profile is not as optimized. He's not putting out as much original content, right? So the numbers are going to differ there a little bit. And then what we did is for the following four weeks, we did what everybody said you're supposed to do. So we sent a connection request with a personalized message. And then we sent the video on the second touch. And we got a slight lift in. People who accepted the connection request, about sixty five percent. So we were getting ten percent more connections accepted, but we were booking far less meetings. We were only booking maybe one a day. Interesting.
0: Well, I should give some credit where credit is due here, and you know, tell the listeners out there that you know, you can go to LinkedIn and it's uh, Colin C Mitchell is your LinkedIn handle. One of the things that that you had expressed, you know, as part of your success is how often you're posting. But I actually think that it might even be something more fundamental than that, which is if I go to your first of all, I get a good sense in the header of exactly, you know, who you are and the use of emojis and, you know, the the humanization, if you will, mm-hmm. of your profile is done really really well. Secondly, when I go to the about section, I also get a really good sense of your motivations. And so to me, like that, if, if most people follow a similar LinkedIn pattern, which is get a connection request, what do I do? Oh, right. I go view that person's profile that wants yeah. to connect with me. What comes through in shining colors about your profile is just how human, arguably honest and down to earth, like you come off.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you. Number one. And that is really important. Some people are even a little bit lazier. They're not even going to look at your profile. Unfortunately, they may just look at your picture and your headline and that's it. And right from that alone, they'll decide if they want to accept your connection request. So those are two really important pieces of real estate. Now, you know, you want like a, a good, proper professional headshot you know, really close, you know, with a with a kind of a one color sort of image, that's going to contrast well, you know, th- those things matter. And then really optimized, you know, headlines, so they know who is this, what do they do? And so those things are are really important in how successful using LinkedIn in your outbound strategies will, will, will be.
0: Well, the other thing that I really love too, is your header says, you know, revenue first podcasts for entrepreneurs and sales leaders. So, I mean, if you, if you take the perspective that, If you're going to use LinkedIn for a prospecting tool um, rather than an online professional resume, then they're two totally different use cases, aren't they?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't even know. Do people still use it as a professional resume for job hunting? Like, do people still do that? I mean, I think job seekers do for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be exhausting. Like anytime you want a job, you got to do a whole you know, overhaul of your profile. Right. But, but, but yeah, I mean, and it also, I mean, the problem with LinkedIn, I think with some people is they're chasing things that don't matter, which is engagement and likes and comments. They're important to a certain extent, but they're way less important than people realize. And what makes you say that? Well, what's more important, I can tell you that LinkedIn is our by far our number one lead source. We get more inbound from LinkedIn than anything else. And it's never people that are, for the most part, there's some exceptions, of course, but for the most part, they are not people that are liking and commenting and engaging with our content. It's people that are seeing the content And then they're sliding into the DMs or going to the website and then booking a meeting and they found us on LinkedIn. Um, And that's how most of those leads come in. It's less, you know, it's less about the people that are engaging that are actually becoming leads in a lot of cases.
0: Real quick, if you were thinking about kind of like giving your best advice for the sales development teams out there or sales development leaders who are structuring their LinkedIn outreach for exactly the the lurker is probably the best way of putting it, right? Because someone who opts into a sales cycle or comes inbound, if you will, because they discovered you on LinkedIn, not by commenting or liking or engaging, but rather just by lurking, what would would that advice look like?
2: Well, from a leader perspective, I mean, I've heard some horror stories where companies think they own your LinkedIn profile, right? And kind of want to control what you do. Give your people the creativity and autonomy and support and lead by example because creating content as a seller is important. I mean, yes, I said using the phone is the most powerful tool, but also leveraging social. And I'll give you a perfect example. In one of the cold calling sessions that we did actually last week, I cold called into somebody that I'd never spoken to before, didn't do any research on him, knew absolutely nothing. It was just a cold call. And he knew exactly who I was when I called him. And it was like super casual conversation. And do you think we booked a meeting? Absolutely, we booked a meeting. So that's the power of like putting out content and connecting with the right people, right? And so number one, as a leader, like... LinkedIn has to be part of your strategy. if you're in B2B, I'm assuming probably most people that are listening are. LinkedIn has to be part of the strategy. The people people don't want to follow companies. they want to follow people on social. I mean so building up your company page or putting out content that nobody cares about from the company page, is ridiculous. You should be investing in your people, giving them tools, resources, and support that they need to become creators on the platform.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, with that, what do you think about some of those platforms? I'm thinking of like uh, Jabber, am I getting that right? You know, that platform where you can have one person create content and then like everyone at your company can click like share, maybe mm-hmm. not to that degree, but what, what do you think about like you know, unified messaging, right? Even if people are able to copy this content. it on their own page like what do you what do you think about that versus giving someone the tools to create their own messaging about something cool at a company
2: yeah you want me to be honest (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) it
2: kind of makes me want to throw up (laughs) Uh, (laughs) hopefully i don't offend anybody but you know it's it's you got to create the people in your sales team right that are responsible for bringing in leads okay? They're going to thrive the most when you give them autonomy to be a little bit creative. And the content that performs well for building authentic relationships, connections, and leads is original content, right? Content that comes specifically from you, Caroline, from your experience through conversations that you've had with prospects, Through problems that you've tackled in your job, in your role, with your clients, with your prospects. Like, that's the type of content that people want to see. Not like, hey, here's the talk track that marketing told us we need to be spitting out.
0: That firsthand experience, I also find, and this is a very non obvious type of learning when you have to produce content or when you've forced yourself to produce content, It's a huge learning lesson in how you want to structure it, how you want your message to come off, what you want to say to, to other people that you think they would find value in. It's really, it's almost the same thing as teaching when you're forced to learn subject matter to such an extent that you could relate it to somebody else.
2: Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's just a, it's a valuable skill, right? And you're, I mean, as a seller, you kind of have to be a marketer and like your personal brand is extremely important, regardless of what role you have. So speaking of personal branding, perfect segue
0: opportunity for, you know, you, you help people set up and, and run their own podcasts. I'm curious about your perspective on how podcasts can and should be used with Outbound.
2: Mm. Yeah, I love this question for a lot of reasons. So I have a bit of a crazy thought, and a lot of people disagree with me. But I believe everybody in sales should have a podcast. And there's a lot of people that be like, oh, you know, people that are just getting started, or oh, we have enough podcasts, and we need like I've heard it all. Another talking head, like I've heard all the reasons of why people think that's a bad idea. And like I'm not saying that every podcast, everybody in sales is going to have like a top top podcast and and, and, and that, but. There's, here's a couple of reasons why. One, it solves a lot of problems for sellers. It solves creating original content. It solves building high quality relationships. And the skills that you master as a podcaster, which is curiosity, asking good questions, being a phenomenal listener. Tell me that those skills are not important as a seller. They're not important as a seller. <laughs> but I'm lying. That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're so right no i mean that's a great point point. and by that right like what do you think about solo pods versus podcasts with guests yeah sure so
2: <laughs> all right so and, and we're gonna get back to how to use podcasts because i have a couple other nuggets but 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 i'll answer that question so solo i like a mix of both so my show i do three interviews a week and i do two solos but here's some interesting stat like if you're trying to you know, monetize your show, become big, get lots of downloads, get sponsors, and that's your strategy. And you're not really using it in your sales role to like build relationships, connect with people, create content that's relevant to the people that you want to do business with, all those sort of things, then solo makes more sense because people's attention spans are shorter. And we have almost 50 shows in our network with a combined... You know, monthly downloads of almost a million downloads per month of the shows that we manage. And we, Chris and I, um, who's my co founder and he's the creative, you know, genius on our team, we started geeking out on some of the podcast data a couple of weeks ago. And what we're seeing is in interview driven shows, and typically you'd see a lot of them be 45, 60, most people have dialed it down to a 20 or 30 because that's where we were getting higher completion rates. Even those now, those 20, 30 minute interview segments are only getting about a 50 to 60 completion. And you can see this in the Apple Connect data. If you have a podcast, you can log in, you'll see this. But when we saw short episodes, like sub 10 minutes, which are typically solo episodes, we saw 90% plus completion. And in some cases, we saw over 100%. Well, what the heck does that mean? That means people are listening to that short little five, six minute episode, and then they're they're finding so much value, they're going back and they're listening to it again. So uh, the right answer, I think, is a mix of both. But it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So taking it back to
0: the kind of like podcasts and Outbound, I'm curious, like even just getting those 50 shows up onto your platform, I'm imagining most of those were your targeted outreach, no?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Many of those were guests on my show and became clients. And that's a strategy that works extremely well if it's done right. When we first started SalesCast, I had an experience where I went on a podcast and it was like the second podcast I'd been on. And I was still feeling pretty good about like, oh, somebody asked me on their show. This is awesome. And it was the worst experience ever. It was like 10 minutes. The questions were somewhat rehearsed. And then at the very end, he tried to sell me some big high ticket package to launch a podcast and I already had a podcast. And it pissed me off really bad. And and, uh, then I was in the shower where I get all my best ideas. And I was like, it's actually a really good idea. It was just horrible execution, (laughs) you know, because it's a great way to open doors. It would be harder otherwise. It's a great way to build relationships by providing value from day one, collaborating, creating content together. Sometimes people get personal on podcasts. You learn things about them. You would never learn in a discovery call or any other sales conversation. Um, And then think about this. Also, all of those knowledge of you like having conversations with your potential prospects, all of that carries over to every other sales conversation that you have. So yeah. 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 So I mean, having guests on a show, like it's not going to be the best show ever. That's okay. It's not going to be the greatest content, but you'll have some really high quality relationships with people that fit in your ideal customer profile. Um, So that's one way. Here's another way. If you're like, oh, that sounds a little crazy. I don't think I can do that. Um, Here's one of my new kind of personal favorite ways to use a podcast for outbound, which nobody is doing, by the way. So this is an easy, easy way to stand out. You can go over to a website called listennotes.com. It's not the prettiest looking website, but it's got the most robust, accurate data as far as podcasts go. And you can search out your prospects on there or accounts that you're trying to break into, or maybe the executive team of accounts you're trying to break into, depends on you know, maybe what you're selling. And you can see what podcasts they've been on. And you can listen to those podcasts. And then from there, be creative and reach out in a pretty meaningful way, whether that's on the phone, social, email, or hopefully all three.
0: That's great advice. By the way, in the first example, you know, our company science, we're an outsourced outbound sales development company. And, you know, we've had our fair share of clients that wanted to do front-end podcast outreach. And that was always the talking point around, hey, have you thought through kind of the transition or Mm -hmm. the flip, if you will, of getting guests on, but then not making it feel quid pro quo, not making it feel transactional, not pitching hard after someone's guesting, largely because, then the, the whole, it, it just ruins the whole sales cycle, truly, if if that's your attitude going in.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it can't feel like, you know, um, you only ask them on your show because you want to sell them something. Like, it's got to be like, hey, I genuinely am curious about you and want to, you know, build a relationship. And maybe it makes sense to do business together. I mean, if they have a good experience, majority of the time, like after you're recording, they're a little bit like, you've asked a bunch of questions about them. At the end of the podcast episode, once you've done recording, they're somewhat a little bit curious about you. And you know, that dialogue can go a couple different ways. And then there's ways to continue to add value and stay top of mind you know, with them, leveraging social, gifting, sending videos, thank you cards. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Maybe you start to build a little bit of a community or a LinkedIn group, or, you know, there's ways that you can continue to add value to those people that took time to come on your show to where if they do need what you have, you're the first person to think of.
0: Yeah. It's serendipitous timing that's completely orchestrated.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it is so funny because if you think about like just the nature of human beings, you know, it's it's actually the exception and not the rule of the person that just talks all the time and doesn't want to listen to anyone else. It's that if you invest in somebody, invest the time, the listening, the. In the relationship, in the building, I always think that the people that go to the pitch right away, especially in a podcast scenario, that makes it feel quid pro quo, is what you've really done, and probably why you had that negative taste in your mouth. I mean, you'll have to tell me if I'm way off base here. Is because you underestimated the person you're interacting with. You know what I mean? Like, because smart people, they figure it out. They figure out the situation. They're emotionally intelligent enough to like go oh yeah, I was a target for this podcast because I'm in this role or have these needs or am similar to other targets that are also on the show, so on and so forth.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely, there's definitely, there's definitely, that definitely can be the case, right? But, you know, you, you, you kind of got to not pitch, right? Like that's the key, right? In and, and, you know, if, if done properly, they sort of give you permission to pitch when it's appropriate. You're like, oh, tell me more about what you do, right? Yeah. Like that's a common question that that comes up. And then there's some things that you can do too. Like I don't know, maybe you're a SaaS product. And you're like, hey, as a way of saying thank you, like you get an extended, you know, version to our software. Check it out. I'd love to get your feedback. You know, right. I mean, there's ways to, you know, get, you know, sort of, I guess, essentially build a bit of a pipeline from your guests. And 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 if they're not interested, they won't sign up, and, and that's totally fine.
1: Yeah. And what about, you know, what about those bad interactions you have, bad cold calls, you know, <laughs> bad interactions with prospects? What are some of your tips for some of our listeners who do that every day, you know, who yeah. have bad calls and need to learn how to quickly move on?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, I think it goes to sort of a couple of things, right? Is like your mindset, number one, like you know, what are your expectations going into your callback? Like, uh, I'm going to book a ton of meetings, you know, and and if you go into it with that, like, you're probably going to let yourself down a little bit and you're going to feel pretty like not so good about it, right? But if you're like, hey, this is gonna, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have some conversations. Maybe I'll book some meetings. You tend to have a better calling block, right? Because the goal is to have conversations. Some people, it's going to be a fit. Some people are not. You got to know how to navigate those conversations. You got to understand the difference between somebody who is not interested because they want you off the phone versus not interested because they actually have a really good reason for not being interested you know so you got to learn how to navigate those types of things Something I something I learned early on, you know, is like some will, some won't move on, right? And so you got to kind of remind yourself of that, and it's important because even the most successful people in sales, and this goes across any sales role, lose more than they win, and you know that's the reality. Even like you know the best you know baseball players, you know, don't hit seven out of ten times, right? Like so, and they're professionals, you know. So even if you and in the it's really hard because there's just so many variables. You can do everything right in a sales interaction, whether it's a cold call, whether that's, you know, running a discovery, Um, you can do, you know, if you're even like an AE or whatever the case is, you can do everything right exactly the way you should have, and you can still lose. And you have to be okay with that.
0: Yeah. I love that analogy. And and by the way, I'm a huge fan of of sports analogies for our own staff when you know, kind of pontificating or otherwise providing yeah. guidance on these types of matters. The other thing that I think is is particularly interesting about the sports analogy and losing more than one wins is what and, and you use baseball, so we'll continue there. The ability to have that number of at bats where all of a sudden I now recognize, you know, I may not get a hit, but three out of ten times. And that would make me an all star, by the way, if if that were true. But I, when I stand in the batter's box, each pitch now that I see, I recognize, ooh, I see the dot, there's a slider. Oh, okay, this is a fastball coming high and tight. Oh, I recognize the spin, this is a curveball. And isn't that the real key to success is recognizing the patterns in each one of those conversations that you have because you're practicing so often, because of the number of at-bats?
2: yeah yeah absolutely i mean the thing like you gotta like you could book no meetings and still have a very successful call block right and maybe you learn some new information maybe you know you tighten up your list a little bit you're like okay here's you know didn't book any meetings but you know i had 20 conversations and those are people that i now know clearly are not interested with a very good reason which would be like oh we're in a five-year contract you know versus not interested because you caught me in the middle of like trying to deal with my kid dropping him off at daycare and you called my mobile and like hey not interested you know those are two very different things that's somebody that second example you call that person back (laughs) right so you know cleaning up your lists uh learning some new information even just testing a new script and being able to tweak it like those you got to look for those small wins because you know as a frontline seller you know you get your teeth kicked in a lot and you just got to be okay with that and not really like affect you personally in a negative way
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even with that example that you just gave, right? So the person who's giving you a conditioned response versus the person who has, you know, a legitimate reason why now might not be a good time. I feel like those active listening skills and being able to identify that like emotional undertone, Mm -hmm. that's just like a human skill, right? Like that's also just like a skill that you should have in life. So are there any other skills like that that you feel totally like transfer over to sales and outbound? Yeah,
2: I mean, like being able to read that is is definitely a, you know, crucial skill. Um, but I would say, you know, as a seller specifically, right? Like this is something that used to be really hard for me like early on, right? Like I would really tie my self-worth to like whether I booked enough meetings or whether I hit quota or like whether I got my number and like learning how to not, you know, like think that I'm less than or not good enough because I didn't get the results or expectations that I set out, that really as a seller can put you in a downward spiral where like it's really hard to accomplish anything because you're in sort of that negative sort of mindset or not feeling like enough, right? So really knowing how to balance... I hate to use the word the control, but like your emotions and like, you know, how you value yourself as a seller based on what results you're getting. Like that is something that's really important. And so what I can kind of tie that back to is a lot of people think like, oh, I'll be better in sales if I could just really like nail the perfect script, you know, and become the Best cold caller in the game. And like those things are important. But what's actually more important is what you'll find is if you invest more in yourself personally, just as a human, then you will actually excel more professionally. So I found like the better I take care of myself personally, like simple things, you know, get, for me, it's like waking up early, spending time with my family, eating healthy, exercising, getting proper sleep, like all of those things that have nothing to do with your professional job. The more you master those, the more you will crush your professional goals.
0: Boy, that is wisdom right there distilled down. It almost sounds like what you're saying is that perfect is the enemy of good in many (laughs) occasions, isn't it? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, learning those hard and soft, you know, sales fields are important, but taking care of you first is more important. And then those things will become easier. Even if you're not the best at them, you'll do better.
0: One thing that is kind of interesting that I want to drop back onto just for a second, if you may, is... You had said earlier when we were talking about the LinkedIn channel and chasing engagement and chasing likes, and those to me are, are actually very similar to a phone scenario where people have this desire or want to be liked, isn't it? Where, mm-hmm. Whereas human beings, and you were just kind of uh, like talking about our own self-worth and checking it or validating it is probably a better word with, you know, frankly, strangers... <laughs> which is maybe never a successful yeah. um, and healthy and balanced way to be. But aren't these all fruit from the same tree?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's a little bit easier. Like I always have sympathy for people who do like in-person cold calling, like door knocking, like, you know, yeah. it, you you run into trouble in your pitch or your script or your opener <laughs> You know, you're kind of it's it's a little bit more challenging to recover when you're there physically. I mean, let's be real. You you run into trouble on the phone. You can always just hang up and move on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's really not a big deal. These are just people. They put your their pants on or skirt on the same way you do, and you know, and and there's also a there's also a component of like bringing that energy into yeah. the conversation. You know, I think a lot of people come in a little bit too passive as like the people on the other side of the phone are superior to them. And I don't care what title they have. They're not. They're just humans like you doing their job. You're doing yours. And you got to come in with that level of confidence in those conversations and you'll have a lot more success.
1: Yeah. Demystifying the other. I feel like that's incredibly important. (laughs) Uh, What do do you think like, you know, for some of our... Kind of younger listeners who are beginning their journey as salespeople. Was there anything that particularly motivated you? Because your path is you know, incredibly impressive. And is there anything that, uh, you know, books, podcasts, mentors, people who you followed, anyone who you'd suggest that really kind of gave you that passion, you know, fuel?
2: Yeah. Great question. So I could, I could go on and on and on and on. I mean, I, we have another hour or so I'll just drop a few. All right. So big fan of Andy Paul, We've got his new book right here. Sell without AP. selling oh. Yeah. So if, if you haven't pre-ordered Uh, if you haven't pre-ordered Andy Paul's book, you should. And if you're a new, like super new rep, and you're like, who the heck is Andy Paul? DM me. I'll send you a copy of the book. Hopefully not too many people take me up on that, but, (laughs) uh, this would be a very expensive podcast with you. Andy's,
0: (laughs) I consider Andy a friend and um, there you go. So I'm happy to buy books for people too.
2: Yeah. So just DM me uh, or Eric and we'll get you a copy. Okay. And he's podcast sales enablement with Andy Paul. Great podcast. I'm also a big fan of, of James Buckley over at JB sales. I'm a big fan of Josh Braun. Um, he has inside selling podcast. He has a great course for people that are just getting started with outbound. I think he even has like a guide on how to get your boss to pay for that or something like that. So that's a good, good resource. I know I'm going to forget a ton. This is, I just had Ashley Welsh on my podcast who wrote a book called Naked Sales. And it really is about how to use design thinking uh, in your discovery process. And it's pretty incredible. The first, ex- the first story in that book is about an example when they were working with Salesforce and trying to land the Greyhound account. And by using this design thinking, uh, they closed a $3 million deal. So it works. It works extremely, extremely well. So there's, there's a few. Those are some good places to get started.
0: By the way, for the listeners out there that just heard Colin kind of rattling off those names, please check in the show notes for our episodes with Josh Braun. (laughs) Ah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Great, great words of wisdom and and frankly, some super, super industry experts to follow is the best way of putting it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I know I forgot a ton, but I don't want to give too many options.
0: (laughs) Well, let's turn this even a little bit more personal where, you know, for people that are looking to, let's say they already have a podcast and they're looking to turbocharge or kind of get to that next level. Tell us... A little bit more about salescast.
2: Yeah. So uh, we work with, you know, specific people that have, you know, a revenue goal in mind with the podcast that's kind of our specialty. So a lot of times that's taking over existing shows and implementing that and managing production. And so, but for for like sellers that are maybe like just getting started or maybe they're, you know, doing it on their own with their own budget, we do have an option for, for those folks. We have our podcast community. They can join absolutely free at salescast.community. And then there is like an option to upgrade if they you know really are want to take you know take it serious and there's a bunch of tools and resources and content and things that they get with that but everybody is welcome to join for free over at salescast.community.
0: I love that. And by the way, that is perfectly congruent with everyone should have
2: a, a podcast. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> I think I, I I even put out a post I don't know a while ago. I think it's a featured content like you could start a podcast for under a hundred bucks. Like literally. Sure. Now it's not going to be the best podcast on this planet, but it's good enough to get started with the activity to start building up some of those skills that are important as a seller that we talked about. So start building a high quality network of, you know, people that, you know, through the podcast, through your guests to learn. I mean, there's, I can go on and on, but yeah, you can get started without spending a lot of money and there's so many benefits.
0: Real quick. What if you were to say are the most unobvious learnings that you've had either on your own or with your clients when they've started their own podcasts what would you say those those are some of those experiences some of those insights
2: okay so there's here's kind of a big one there's 2.6 million podcasts today but only half of them still release episodes and most fail before they hit 10 episodes and so they live in what I like to call the podcast graveyard right cuz they're out there they never go away <laughs> but but uh, they're they're no longer publishing and it's it's because of one thing I found through and, and Chris and I had 1,400 conversations with people last year that were at some place in their podcast journey maybe they were just getting started to start a show or guest or both or they had already started and had no strategy and that's really what it is is not having a strategy a lot of people will start a podcast because hey it's a new cool thing to do everybody else is doing it I see them in my feed and they don't give it a lot of thought and you know, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but it's worth it. But you got to have a strategy in mind, right? What is that strategy? Is it solo episodes seven days a week to grow it to 10 20,000 downloads and get sponsors? Cool. That's a strategy. Is it to build relationships with potential prospects or partners or both that's a strategy is it to use it as a mid you know mid to in funnel piece of content to move deals forward that's a strategy i mean there's all kinds of strategy but those are some examples so really think about the strategy and then just get started
0: that's some really good advice
2: the main thing is i would say here's a, here's another one people get stuck on their name <laughs> people get stuck on their name and they don't get started and the name is important it is important, but here's the secret. You can change it if you have to. It's really not that big of a deal. Don't let it stop you from getting started. Whatever your show is about, think about like, okay, who do I want to read? Who, who should be listening to my show? And then what are they searching when they hit the podcast platform? That needs to be part of the title, right? So sales, sales would be an example. Like sales should be in your title. People tend to come up with these like play on words or interesting things or something that sounds cool. And it sounds cool, but nobody's ever going to find it because they're not searching for that.
0: Well, we're at the point in the show that we could probably talk for maybe hours. You have (laughs) been a font of wisdom, Colin. Other ways in which people can get a hold of you, maybe even check out some of your LinkedIn live, you know, kind of real world practicums for like
2: a better way of putting it. Where can people learn more? Best places, check out my podcast. That's the easiest way to find out everything cool, new, fun, and exciting that we're doing whatever platform you're on here, you could search out sales transformation and we drop five episodes a week. That is a,
0: a very aggressive, boy, talk about a strategy that might be hard to adhere to.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then we have another, well, we have like five internal shows, but uh, that's the sales focus show. And then we have some other ones that have a very different strategy.
0: Honestly, how many hours a day are you working? I'm just so curious about this because you, know, you can't compress Like even if you got super hyper efficient, like compressing that many podcasts into like the minutes still are the minutes.
2: Yeah. I work eight and a half hours every day and I don't work on the weekends. That's really impressive. But 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 to be fair, I've never had to edit a podcast episode ever. So, okay. So, I mean, there's that.
0: (laughs) You have a super team behind your superpowers. Yes.
2: Yes, That is the key. The super team.
0: Love that. Well, this has been a really enjoyable episode. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for your wisdom. Thank you.